Well, good morning, guys. Morning. Really serious video, and then I got that, that picture up there. Um, so we're going to be doing something a little different this morning. We, uh, if you guys have been here, you've been seeing the cards where we've been asking you to ask tuss, tough questions of us, and we're going to try to answer them. And so we're going to start out today with answering some of those questions that have been asked. The cards are still going around, so if you uh, have questions, still have questions that you want us to, uh, to address, fill one of the cards out, and we're going to be doing this again probably um, in May, I think, as we're going to do the next one. We're going to pr- try to do a couple more. So <clears throat> uh, we're going to be doing a few of those, and so you guys keep updating those, those questions. So the topic's a little bit different than it has been today, so it's going to be apologetics-focused. And what is op- apologetics, you guys may ask? And apologetics is not you know, apologizing to your friends for, you know, your beliefs. It's not saying, Matt, I'm sorry that I believe this, but, you know, this is just the way I feel. That's not what it is. Apologetics comes from a Greek word called, it's uh, apologia, and it basically means to give a reasoned or or well-thought-out defense, right? So it comes from, we get this from the Bible from 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, but in your hearts honor God, uh, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So the idea is that when we encounter people in our culture, and guys, if you're not encountering this, um, just wait, it'll happen. You're going to encounter people who are going to kind of question the, fa- the reasons uh, for the things that you believe and say, well, the Bible's kind of silly or, you know, Bible's a myth or something like that. And, you know, they're going to give you tough questions. And, and, and you have to have a good reason, a good um, uh, response to those questions if, they're, if you're going to be, you know, somebody that they can be- believe. So we're going to be addressing questions in this type of manner, these tough questions in this apologetic type manner uh, over these, uh, these sessions. And they're going to vary in their kind of themes that we're addressing. Uh, one thing that's going to pop up over and over again is this thing that I call the uh, doctrinal triangle or doctrinal pyramid. And it looks something like that. And it's basically how do we prioritize our beliefs. So there are things of the Christian faith that are non-negotiable, right? And we're going to put that at, this, at the bottom, dogma. We're going to say these things, we're, we have to agree on these things. If we go outside of these things, we're no longer in the Christian faith. So... Um, does God exist? Okay, well, that kind of has to be there, right? If you're going to be a Christian, you have to agree that God exists. Well, did, uh, did Jesus come? Uh, is he, was he God? Did he come to this earth and die on the cross and, and was put in a tomb and rise from the grave for our sins so that we could be you know, adopted into the family of God? Well, yeah, we kind of have to agree on those things. So we're going to put all the stuff like that in dogma. But <clears throat> there's a second level. We're going to call that doctrine. And doctrine is a little, it's very serious, it's important stuff to talk about, important things to think about, like, you know, how does a, the human free will work and God's sovereignty, and how do those things mesh? You know, difficult things to think about, and important, but maybe we can disagree on these things and still remain in the Christian faith. And then at the top, we have belief, and belief are those things that, you know, we're pretty sure we can disagree on, like, 
you know, how do we do church? Is it okay to have church in a double shotgun house, or do we need a big building next door? You know, can we have guitars and, and pianos on stage, or does it need to be a cappella? You know, stuff like that. We're going to put that in the belief category. The danger occurs when we let our, our dogma go too high or our belief too low. So if we have dogma all the way up, we're going to say, you know, you're not in the Christian faith if you have tattoos. Oh, sorry, you're out. Or if you have, you're a dude and have long hair. Well, sorry, you're out of the Christian faith. When we get too dogmatic about things that should be in that, you know, that, do, that uh, doctrine or belief level, we end up in some kind of weird fundamentalism. Other way around, if we do all belief across the board, then we get in trouble in the things that's, you know, tenets, the important stuff, the Christian faith. So, you know, Jesus, was he really God? Oh, I'm not sure, but you can still be in Christian faith. So you got to be careful. You have to maintain a balanced view. And that's going to come up over and over again as we talk about these tough questions. Um, so the questions that we're going to address today. And these are, these are word for word what we got. How does God make something from nothing? We can't, so how can he? And then what do we do with dinosaurs? Okay, so good questions. Not easy questions, but we're going to try to tackle them. <clears throat> um, the, f- the first one, we're going to have to modify it a little bit. We're going to have to change the question a little bit. Because, to tell you the truth, I don't think on this side of heaven we'll ever know how God made anything from nothing. And, and I, I don't know if we will when we get to heaven. It might be one of those things that just God knows. But <clears throat> we can ask the question, do we have any reasons, any evidence to believe that God can create from nothing? And by nothing, let me define this. We're not talking about you know, God saying, poof, out of air, and he used molecules and stuff like that that was in existence. We're talking, when I say nothing, I mean not anything. No time, no space, no subatomic particles. Nothing, nada, zip, zilch, none of that stuff. So that's what I mean when I talk about nothing. And <clears throat> we're going to look at three types of reasonings, or three reasons, evidence, to support these things. We're going to look at biblical reasons, some philosophical reasons. You don't freak out on me. We're not. Just stay with me. And I hope everybody had some coffee this morning, because this might be a little intense. Um, and then we're going to look at some scientific reasons. Now, <clears throat> when I started this out, when I was putting everything together, I sent the slides to Jason, and then I made Be- Becky look over it. But this is my wife, Becky, down on the front, and she, she reads through everything that I do. And she said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and Jason said, I think you got a bit much here. And I looked at it, and I had like 97 slides. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to cut that back a little bit. So I have edited this presentation, but if you guys want the you know, full-blown thing, just let me know. I'll send it to you. But I tend to overload. But there's a saying that, go, that a, lot of, um, a lot of people say, um, professors at my school t- taught me this, and I never really thought about it, but the, the saying is, all truth is God's truth. And if we believe that, then we can look at the Bible and see truth there, and then we can look around us, and we can think hard, and, you know, philosophical, theological thoughts, and we can look at science and look for truth there, and it will all kind of be a cohesive, um, show a cohesive picture, a cohesive uh, reality. So let's start out by looking at some biblical reasons, you know, evidence for God creating out of nothing. And the best place to start, in the beginning. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, you're going to see these two things that I underlined over and over again, beginning and created throughout Scripture. <clears throat> and by beginning, the Hebrew and then the Greek translations of the Old Testament means prior to this there was nothing. So at the very beginning, at that instance, you know, at the instance where all of creation came afterwards, God created, and then there's a Hebrew uh, figure of speech, heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth is... You know, everything from here down to here is what they're saying. It's a totality. It's kind of a picture of all-inclusive, you know. They didn't understand universe, you know, when this was written. This was written thousands of years ago. They didn't understand the, the idea of universe, but they understood the idea of every single thing. And that's the words that the um, author of Genesis, Genesis is getting at. <clears throat> so in Genesis 1.27, we see again, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created Male and female, he created them. In Isaiah and later on Proverbs and Psalms and a couple other places, we see this same verb over again. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is, um, he is the God who formed the earth. I see that heavens and earth and made it and he established it and did, and did, not, and did not create a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. Now the verb um, created is a Hebrew verb <coughs> in the Old Testament. And that verb is, is usually used when God is doing something, when God is making something. There's other verbs that are translated make and do and form and shape and put together and stuff like that. And those verbs are usually reserved for when God, uh, men are, are doing things or building things or putting things together. But when God uses, uh, when it's used in, in the sense of God, this verb for created, bara, is usually used just for something that God is doing. So it's kind of a unique thing, and you see this over and over throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> now, let's go look at the New Testament. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, once again, we're talking about all the way, uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that came into being, that has come into being. Uh, John, 1 John 1, 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. <clears throat> Notice John both times uses that word beginning. And that word is the same word that is used in Genesis 1, 1. So that same sense of beginning prior to everything flows all the way through Scripture, and you see it reported over and over and over again. And so it's a kind of a holistic view. It's not, you know, this author thought this and this author thought this. You know, it's, it's God's Word is, you know, it's, it's coherent throughout the whole thing. Um, in Colossians, uh, and this is a great passage. It kind of provides a, a very, you know, just a, a whole picture in the New Testament. Paul says, and he's talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, there's that picture again, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So once again, we're seeing created, heavens, earth, all things. <clears throat> Holistic picture throughout the Bible. Um, in Romans, we, uh, we see it, uh, this is slightly different wording, um, but he says, God who gives life to, de 
to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Um, and in Hebrews, by faith we understand that the universe was formed uh, at God's command so that as what is seen what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And when he says that, he means things that aren't there. Um, so he's talking about basically nothing. So <clears throat> all the way from Genesis to the, uh, to the New Testament, we have this repeating thing where God created, and it was a supernatural act. And God created out of nothing because there was nothing before. And he created a totality. It was all. It was heavens and earth. Um, so there's a cohe- co- cohesive picture throughout the whole Bible. Um, and a lot of times we think about the Bible and say, well, just, we just talk about the Genesis account of creation. We think about, you know, how the earth was created a lot. And, and we sometimes forget about, you know, the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament. If you look in the Psalms, there's even pictures of God's creative act. So it's all throughout the, the, throughout the Scripture. So we have good reasons in the Bible to believe that God can create from nothing. There's a good picture there. But what happens when we talk to someone who doesn't believe the Bible? So um, now in, in Louisiana, we, well, yeah, probably in New Orleans, we have uh, quite a few uh, skeptics and kind of atheists. If you go into Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, eh, may not encounter as many. But if you leave the South, and go uh, up to the Northwest especially, or go to New York, you inc- encounter quite a few people who are kind of skeptical in nature, and they believe that the Bible's a myth or just made up, or maybe it's a good book of morals, but that's about it. So what do we do when we're talking to people like that? Well, you can say, you can tell them what the Bible says, and this is you know, how I get this from the Bible, this is what I believe because of the Bible, but we have other reasons. And so we're going to talk about some philosophical reasons. Hold on to your shorts. It's, it's going to be good. Okay. <clears throat> and we won't go too in, de- too in depth in this. This is probably one of the most uh, prominent philosophical arguments for God's existence based on you know, creation uh, or the existence of the universe nowadays. And it's called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. And it was, uh, it's actually very old. It was uh, um, originally one of the first people that did it was a, a Muslim philosopher a long, long time ago. And, but it's been made prominent by a Christian philosopher named William Lane Craig. And <clears throat> you see this a lot, and it's pretty easy. Um, it's set out in a, what's called a logical um, uh, ar- argument, so it's a valid argument. So if the first two premises, one and two, are true, then every philosopher out there will agree. Number three has to be true. Okay, so the first premise, whatever begins to exist must have a cause. Well, that sounds pretty straightforward. Some people may quibble and say, eh, I don't know about that, but okay. The universe began to exist. Mm, most people would agree with that, at least the people that you're going to uh, meet on the street. And if that's the case, the universe has a cause. So how do we use this in conversation? I've got a good version, modified version, a question version. <clears throat> And my professor who kind of taught me this, he calls this the rope-a-dope. Uh, <laughs> and so you ask them a question. You say, how old do you think the universe is? And they may say, oh, I don't know, a few billion. Well, you say, no, how many billion? Well, okay, 13.5 billion. Okay, sure. Let's say it's 13.5 billion years old. And then you say to them, well, if something has an age, and you just told me that the universe has an age, then it has a beginning, right? Oh, 
Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so if it has an age, then it has a beginning. And then you point out, well, if it has a beginning, then it has a cause. And you've already agreed that the universe has a beginning because it has an age. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Well, what type of cause could create something? And remember, we're talking about, you know, prior to the universe, there's no time, no space, no nothing. So what type of cause could there be for something when there's really nothing out there? Well, it'd have to be something that is powerful, and it'd have to be something that transcends space and time, and it would have to be something that would want to create. So it'd have to have reason and a will and the only thing that really fits that is an all-powerful God, an all-powerful being who is omnipotent, who, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. He wants to create. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, maybe you have a good reason there. <clears throat> so, now, there are, some, there are some people who disagree with, uh, with these arguments, but, you know, on a, on a street, and if you're talking to somebody in the, in the cafeteria or at work or whatnot, this, this works pretty good. Um, <clears throat> and if y'all want more about that, I have tons, tons of literature. So, but that's a philosophical argument. Yeah, I'm not into philosophy. Eh, I, I don't see it. You know, I think that philosophy is kind of all gobbledygook, and it's not much better than the Bible. It's uh, really just kind of a, you know, it's for heady nerds that sit in closets and you know, think about weird stuff. Okay, well, if you don't like that, maybe, I, maybe we can talk about some scientific evidence. All right, so anybody heard of Albert Einstein? Okay, wow, my son's the, all right, okay. <laughs> He was the guy had the crazy hair and the mustache. He looked like a, you know, like a troll doll or something like that. I mean, okay, just messing, just messing. <laughs> yes, I am dating myself. That's okay. Jason does it every Sunday. I can do it, right? Yeah, okay. So Albert Einstein had this theory of general relativity. He was a pretty smart guy. Yeah, he he, he knew some stuff. So he came up with this theory. Um, 1905, sure, somewhere around there. It was, it was a while back, before I was born, so I'm not that old. <laughs> and he came up with this theory, and he had some, some issues with the theory, but, you know, um, it was pretty good. And then there, a, a few years later, some other guys came along and kind of added to it and expanded on it and kind of put it into a model uh, of the universe. And then in the 1920s, a guy named Ebel, Eb, Eb, Excuse me, Edwin Hubble, and you guys know him because they named a big telescope after him. And Edwin Hubble discovered <coughs> evidence supporting the theory of this uh, this theory of, of relatively relativity and the model of the universe that was based off of it. And basically, <coughs> the model that that they developed says that there was a finite point in time and space where there was prior to that the universe did not exist, and the universe had this beginning and expanded quickly and rapidly and outward and has been doing so and, you know, going faster and faster ever since, right? So Edwin Hubble had a discovery supporting the evidence for this, um, for this theory, supporting this, uh, this, um, this scientific theory. Now, I got a hint for y'all. Go to the next slide. Do you know what this theory is called? Anybody? Hey, good job. You get a sticker at the end of class. 
They're the Big Bang Theory, not the TV show. But I couldn't help putting that up there. <clears throat> Who doesn't like Sheldon Cooper? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Okay, so the next slide is an actual kind of diagram of the Big Bang Theory. So we have our little point in space and time. And it was, you know, a long, long time ago. And there was this big explosion. The universe started going out. And as it expanded, you know, uh, uh, matter developed and, and, then, and then galaxies and stars and moons and, uh, and, and all the fun stuff like that, right? So that there's planets and asteroids and blah, 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 blah. And generally speaking, the scientific community kind of stuck with this. And still most scientists agree with this. There are a few guys out there that dispute this theory. Um, they, there's, there's some multiverse theories and stuff like that. But general scientific community still goes by this model. It's the best one we have. So based on the best evidence, we, scientific evidence we have, this is, what we, this is kind of the model for the, for the universe. Okay, so you know, what was before that point in time? And then you can start talking about the philosophical arguments and stuff like that. So a few weeks ago, well, a few weeks ago, um, I guess a month ago at this point, there was a big announcement, and this group called uh, that was part of the BICEP2 project, and Background Imaging of Cosmic Extragalactic Polar Polarization 2 project. Doesn't that sound interesting? No. Okay. <clears throat> what these guys did is they confirmed ripples in the cosmic microwave background radiation based on the theory. So what does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. I had to look it up. <laughs> so, okay, so basically the model that was produced, the inflationary model, predicted that there would be ripples in the cosmic background radiation um, based on the, you know, the inflationary model, right? Well, nobody ever proved it. So there, a lot of people would say, eh, your theory says this should happen, but we don't have evidence for this, so there's a good chance that your theory doesn't work. Well, these guys ended up finding these ripples uh, throughout space and time and the, bi the background radiation that supported the model. So based on that discovery, this model is still a good model for the universe, for the origin of the universe. <clears throat> so are there other models? Yeah, but not ones upon which the majority of the scientific community agrees. So we stick with this one, and most people will agree to it. Can the age of the universe be less than 3.7 billion years? Yeah. Definitely. But most people in the street, when you talk to them, that's what they're going to agree to. So you need to be able to provide an answer that, that addresses that. And if we talk about you know, the origin of the universe based on this model and then talk about that, that uh, philosophical argument, it works out quite well to show that we do have good reasons for believing the things we do. So <clears throat> let's talk about creation because this is going to lead into our dinosaurs. Uh, so there are various views on creation, and I'm not going to say which one is right. I'm going to say you can have different views on creation. This is one of those things that I believe falls into that doctrine level of our belief system. There's fiat creation. This is often called young earth creationism. Um, God created, and he, he said, and existence came into be. Um, and everything in existence uh, came to be from that what he said. There's theistic evolution. God guides the evolutionary process. So, you know, evolution is true, but God is not random. 
It's not, you know, it just doesn't happen. God is guiding the whole evolutionary process through over 13 billion years. <clears throat> and then the last one is uh, progressive creationism, or often it's sometimes called old earth creationism. And the basic idea is kind of a mix of the two. God uh, had a creative work. Some, some of it's new, some of it's guided, um, and it's progressive throughout the whole uh, age of, of creation. So, along with those three views are the days of creation views. And we've got to talk about this because they're kind of relevant. <clears throat> so there's first the 24-hour theory. And in Genesis 1 through, uh, 1 through 3, the, the days of creation are one 24-hour period God created, and the next 24-hour period God created, and the next 24-hour period God created. And that's very biblical. fits in very well with the biblical understanding sometimes has some issues with scientific um, evidence that we have. So there's some challenges there if you hold that view. There's the day-age theory. Uh, each day as mentioned in Genesis was a longer, a significantly longer period of time. So God created on day one, and then a long amount of time passed, and then God created on day two, and then a long period of time passed allowing things to happen that God was, God was guiding and creating. And finally, uh, the theo- theistic evolutionary theory, uh, God used the process of ele- evolution to bring about human life, and the language, those days in Genesis 1 through 3, are really just symbology. It's just really just symbolic language. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, have to do with particular you know, time and days as such. So, uh, what do we do with the dinosaurs based on that? <coughs> well, <coughs> if you hold a fiat creationist view or a young earth creationist view, um, you have to reconcile some things like the, the age of the earth um, and how that works and some of the, the, um, the aging the diagnosis, uh, do, the aging uh, tests that the, guy, the, the scientists do to figure out how old the, the fossils are and how old the fossil records are and all that fun stuff. So you have to somehow reconcile those. <clears throat> uh, there's guys like uh, Ken Ham, and you guys might have se- may have seen the Ken Ham debate with uh, uh, Bill Nye not too long ago. And Ken, Ken Ham has a big organ- organization called uh, Answers in Genesis, and they do a lot of work and research in this area. And they, they say you know stuff like, we can find dinosaurs in the, Bi- in the Bible. Uh, in Job and in, in other areas, you see a mention of behemoth and of Leviathan, and they say, you know, these are examples of dinosaurs in the Bible, and I say, maybe. Uh, it, it could be. There, it is possible. I tend to disagree on some things, because like behemoth is a Hebrew word for um, large beast of the field, so it could be something like a, rhinoc- a rhinoceros or a really fat cow or, you know, something like that. We can't say, but yeah, it could be dinosaurs, and I'm not going to say it's not. Um, but there are some challenges that you have to deal with. When you talk about free, uh, progressive creation or theistic evolution, the fossil records and stuff like that, it's not as big of a deal. But in some instances, theistic evolution especially, there's some difficult theological questions like, you know, how did God create Adam and Eve if they, de- you know, if they um, developed from monkeys and whatnot, or if they're part of the evolutionary process you know, when did that image of God come into play? So there's some challenges in some very difficult areas, theologically speaking, that you have to deal with those. 
Um, progressive creation is kind of a mix, so it's not, you kind of can, you can deal with the scientific uh, evidence, and you can deal with the scriptural part of it pretty, pretty easily. <clears throat> so how do we deal with those, and where do we put those in our doctrinal triangle? Where do we put dinosaurs in our doctrinal triangle? Um, I say make sure it's not in the area of dogma. Because these things are pretty complex, and I didn't go into all the details because in 30 minutes, I just can't do it. Uh, <clears throat> I would say <clears throat> make sure that it's in the right level, and especially if you're speaking to someone who's not a believer and doesn't trust the reliability of Scripture, you have to be able to be willing to say, well, maybe it happened this way. This is what I believe, but it could have happened this way. Theistic evolution could have happened if you believe in if you, be, if you believe in evolutionary process, it could have been guided by God. And we have good reasons to believe that it could have been guided by God. Um, and, and there's really no good answer for saying that no, it wasn't guided by God, that it was random. Um, <clears throat> so you have to be willing to say it could have happened so that the point of it, the point of everything is getting them to concede that, yes, maybe there was a God. And yes, maybe he created and once you get to that point, you can move past that to God sent his son and he came to earth and died on a cross for us. And we have good evidence that says you know, Jesus died on a cross, was put in a tomb and was resurrected. We have eyewitness accounts of that and we have good reason believing that. And if that's the case, then this is the really important stuff. We can argue about the doctrine stuff later. We can talk about that and think it out and, and work through it. But this is the important stuff, the cross. And that's where you need to get to. So you have to be willing to put those in the right levels of your doctrinal triangle so that you can discuss those things. <clears throat> so that the, the idea behind apologetics and doing, dealing with these questions is one, for you guys to know what you believe and have good reasons for that. But ultimately, it's to be able to um, fulfill what we're supposed to be doing as part of the Great Commission and our mission of sharing Christ with the world. So I know that was a lot, and that was really fast. Uh, if you guys have questions, I'll be around. I'll stick around or email me. Jason has my email. I'll put it on Facebook, and I'll send you links to... I have tons of links, and I have... I have tons of slides if you want the slides. And I have tons of books if you want to read books, if you like reading books. But it's important to think these out and have these things out, these difficult things, and have good reasons to be able to share with other people about why we believe these things. So let's pray, and then I'll, I'll, we'll end. Father God, we thank you that uh, you are a God of truth and that you have revealed truth to us and that you have given us minds to think, and that your Holy Spirit guides us and allows us to, uh, to reason through these things and understand your creation and the universe that you've given us. And we ask that we would be able to use these things that you've given us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, with those who do not know him, so that they might come to know him and might come to be adopted as we are into the, uh, to the family of God. And we just praise you for that, Father. We ask that you would uh, remind us of these things, help us think about these important uh, thoughts and, and important questions as we go throughout the week and search out good answers in your word, which is true and, and, and trustworthy. And then in the rest of the, the, the world where you've revealed truth, Father. 
And we ask that you would use all these things to change our lives and help us change other lives, Father. In Christ's name, amen.